Welcome, everybody, to the Joe Random Sports Podcast, a famous name from MLB The Show Career Mode started a group of fantasy leagues years ago. And today, we gather with longtime Joe Random, Stephen Thayer, and Matt Ramirez to talk all things sports, whether the Joe Randoms. Our special guest today, the one and only Nathan Jason Wilmer, stripling the editor, the great reactor, Whoa! We hope you enjoy, and remember, just keep swishing, and don't strike out. All right, welcome everybody to the Joe Random Sports Podcast. Stephen Thayer and not Matt Ramirez today. Instead, our special guest, I forgot to add Casper to the intro uh, <laughs> as well as uh, as sometimes the great reactor Kuzbari reprises his role as the friendly ghost. He is filling in for Matt Ramirez, and we are so happy to have you back. Uh, so first off, welcome again, and how have you been? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. I have been great. I've been grinding my way through my master's program at San Diego State this fall. I've just been studying my butt off, really. Lots of late nights studying. And also uh, with work, uh, I've been killing it at work at at my job, Mulligan Funding. And I actually got uh, the quarterly employee of of the uh, quarter award uh at mulligan and it was just amazing i I couldn't believe it i shook the hand with the ceo uh he gave me a bonus check it was it was incredible and uh that was something that was just so unexpected and uh, i'm just super thankful that you know i put in all the hard work and it's all paying off for me first off congratulations uh that that (laughs) is awesome uh i mean you work so hard and bust your butt trying to go through an mba program and you're still keeping a full workload uh and uh i'm sure the company's really grateful the bonus check doesn't hurt so uh <laughs> you know thanks for coming on to and, and finding time to do this because we haven't had you in a while i needed to get get some old uh packers lakers takes from you <laughs> yeah i i really needed to get back on the podcast it's been way too long so i'm I'm pumped to to talk anything yeah glad, glad you're doing well we're going to talk a lot on this show we've been doing a lot of nfl episode a lot of 49ers talk lately uh and we'll touch on that a little bit we'll, we'll cover a little bit over the nfl but i think the more pressing thing and and uh jt is uh, is an expert in college football. And so I think we're going to dive a lot more into college football today, uh, talking a lot about the Michigan scandal, talking about the college football playoff. Of course, his uh, his favorite team, Ohio State. Uh, I'll try to minimize that for our listeners. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we, we've got, we've got uh, quite an f- array of things to discuss. So I guess to start off with things, you know, this is just unfortunate timing, but it seems like whenever we bring you on the podcast, it's right after a Niners win and a Packers loss. So, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, can I you know. believe the impeccable timing of that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I just—I'll I, give you one minute, one minute to rant about 
uh, what's going on in Green Bay? We are in a transition period. This is a transition year. I, I think going from a Hall of Fame quarterback to you know a guy that's been groomed for three years, his first year starting, I think it's a lot to put on Jordan Love's shoulders um, to for him to carry the team in, in his first year. And it's just we're the youngest team in the NFL. We've been in a lot of close games. I think they're still learning how to win. But I also think from a coaching standpoint, um, they've not been put in the right situations. Um, there's been questionable play calling on offense at times. Yes, there's been a lot of drops by our receivers. Granted, they're first and second year receivers. But I think at the end of the day, um, they might need to tear some of it down in terms of you know, the front office, the coaching staff. I think Matt LaFleur kind of rode the coattails of Aaron Rodgers in those, you know, three plus years where, where we were going 13 and three, 13 and four, making deep playoff runs. So um, I think they're going to have to really think about in the offseason what exactly what they want to do with the coaching staff. We're probably going to get a high draft pick, but overall, yeah, it's been a really disappointing season, but I think we still have a lot of talent. It's just a matter of putting the the right product on the field and and coaching these guys up the correct way. Now, I know you have been more critical of LaFleur here. How much do you think Jordan Love's development plays a role in this? Because he's in year four, technically, you know, I know it's the first year as a starter and that, that, you know, that that's a learning curve, but how much growth is there? left do you think i mean how much more can he scratch the surface well i I think there's still a lot more development in jordan love he has shown some inaccuracies this year i will admit that but you look at the way he throws the football i mean he's got a beautiful arm uh great mechanics throws it with the flick of the wrist um it's very similar to aaron Rodgers' throwing motion and i think he you know tries to emulate that Love will just need to be in the right system. I think right now, um, like our offensive line's not giving enough time. Um, his receivers aren't helping him, you know, making those nice catches. I mean, the, our best receiver right now is Jaden Reed, of all people. You know, you look at Christian Watson, for instance. Go he's green. Constant, <laughs> <laughs> he's basically our fourth receiver now because, you know, he's either just kind of like, flashy and like saying oh here's my drip you know he he's not he's just one of those players that doesn't work hard and i think wow is ultimately responsible for what his players do he's kind of just letting things slip and when you don't have that bona fide leader in a locker room things will just play themselves out nobody is holding each other accountable and i think if you give jordan love the right coaches put him in the right situation. I think he can be a lot better, but obviously he needs to be better on his his end too. But I think he still has a very high ceiling as a quarterback, and I don't think we should give up on him yet. So I'm still on the Jordan Love train. Even though a lot of outsiders have given up on him, I'm not ready to just kind of throw it all away. It's it's bleak. It's it's really bleak. Uh, I actually I have a lot of faith in LaFleur. I think he can turn the ship around um that's where i would put my hope i wouldn't put it in jordan love um i he he needs a lot of help and i mean i think he Mm -hmm. has good young receivers um man christian watson killing me in fantasy by the way but 
they they got to get a better running back for sure. Unfortunately, Aaron Jones uh, is it's kind of kind of done. Unfortunately, it's uh it's sad to see. And AJ Dillon's a nice power back, but he can't he he can't be the premier guy. And he's had many mm-hmm. opportunities now to to take that role, and he just hasn't. Um, so. Um, yeah, hopefully there are brighter days ahead for you. Uh, with Aaron Rodgers, I mean, this is a little bit off the cuff, but do you think yeah. he's going to come back? That That's a tough one. I, I think Rodgers really, really wants to come back. I mean, he he lives and breathes football, obviously. And for him, I think it's about the age. You know, he's 38, 39 years old and if the Jets are competitive and if they're in playoff contention, then absolutely he's going to try and rush it back because of his age. Um, he's been trying to fast track this whole process. Every week he goes on the Pat McAfee show and kind of gives a status update about how he's doing. And it. it's just kind of funny. He's just saying the same things. You know, nothing's really new in that he's rehabbing uh, day and night and that he's just getting the best treatment possible to try and jumpstart the process of him getting back yeah i i I think what it comes down to is because cam Akers had this same procedure the speed bridge now i know he just tore his achilles again Again. (laughs) but 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 this is this is a different uh he's not a aaron Rodgers, not a running back um Mm -hmm. acres came back in five months we have to remember that um aaron Rodgers, i think if the jets are in playoff contention he come he he pushes the envelope here, uh, and I I don't know if he should. I I think he could. I think there's possibility mm-hmm. of medical clearance, um, but if but for him if if that's all that matters to make a point, then go for it, man. You know, I, I think there's a good chance he does come back. It's just is it's just a matter of if the Jets uh, don't fall out of it. I mean, if the if the Jets are five and eight here in the next couple weeks what is the point of him coming back in in mid-december exactly you know to try to push but what i i will say i really do think it's possible i think initially when it happened i was like there's no way they're not going to push that but the dude's making 50 yard throws down the field and warm-ups and he's transferring weight into that achilles and that is a huge step i mean he still has some progressions to go. Can he move dynamically? Um, he still needs to lay down the correct tissue in that that Achilles. Um, but that mm-hmm. procedure um, could it's it's almost acting as a artificial Achilles in a lot of ways. Um, and and so he doesn't have to have the normal you know one year long process of that tissue rehealing. So I think there there's a lot of uh, hope for him and and the Jets fans and Aaron Rodgers fans for him to come back. It's it, it would be remarkable. I I think the fact that we're even able to talk about it is remarkable because it's, it's, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really insane. I mean, he if he were to pull this off, it would be one of the greatest recoveries in modern sports history of coming back that soon and just goes to show that modern technology keeps improving um, with surgeries and these guys are able to come back faster than ever. We're on the verge of a breakthrough in medicine, right? I mean, it, it took, you know, you tear your ACL, you're out for a year, then it became, well, now it's pretty much nine months. Some people it's a little bit sooner. 
and that that's a big breakthrough. And and I think you might see the same thing here. Um, you know, if if it's not now, it's soon. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's definitely a lot of advancement. So that's my little soapbox for Rodgers. I think there's a huge possibility as long as the Jets stay in contention, then uh, he's going to have a chance to come back. I know you are not a 49ers fan, but I can appreciate your takes from an objective standpoint, especially now that the Packers will likely not run into the 49ers down the, down, yeah. down the line here. <laughs> so um, what did you think of their demolition in Jacksonville? Yeah, I was watching that morning game. It was the national TV game. It wasn't the Packers Steelers. It was Jaguars and 49ers mm. going into the morning. I was like, ah, oh, you know, all right, I'll still watch this game. And from the get go, man, they just thoroughly dominated them. It was a beat down from the jump. And Brock Purdy, he did get away with a few throws like that one in the end zone to Brandon Ayuk across his body. You never run to the left side and then throw across your body into the middle of the field, which Shanahan admitted afterwards. Yep. <laughs> hey, you got the touchdown, but um, just don't do that again. That <laughs> type of thing. But yeah, the Niners, you know, they are very explosive offensively. You know, they can get a big play out of Debo, McCaffrey, IU, Kittle at any given moment in a game. And when you have that offensive explosiveness, explosiveness, you're going to be in any football game. And then you pair that with the defensive ends that they have from the Ohio State University. Chase Young um, coming to the fold. That was a huge trade for the Niners. And Nick Bosa. I mean, that, that's going to be a very lethal tandem on the edge there. Um, and I think you guys talked about a little bit on the last podcast or a few podcasts ago about the middle of the interior of the defense. Um, their defensive tackles are a little bit of a weak point. Um, the secondary is okay, but they still have some studs there. Fred Warner, I mean, they're a complete football team, and it's going to be tough for any team to match up with them player for player once they get into the playoffs. And we've seen it before. They can go into anybody's house and still win on the road. So they're going to be dangerous no matter what, and I think they kind of reestablished themselves this week after that three-game losing streak. So I could sit here and continue to rave and, and just <laughs> just like go off on how much how great this was and but i'm not going to do that actually i i don't oh. think they're, 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 <laughs> the, that's what i usually do uh but from the gloat cast yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we, we uh we finally broke the gloat cast jinx uh, <laughs> B- bandler was texting me every week saying like I, it was a jinx like we shouldn't have done it <laughs> matt matt was like in my previous uh, life, I would not have allowed this sort of thing to happen. <laughs> yeah, but what I will say is, I don't know that we really learned a whole lot. Um, I think, I think there were three uh, scenarios you could call them for me. I think in one, on one, on one hand, we, so we have three hands here. On one hand, uh, <laughs> this was. Awesome to see. This was the rebound that they needed. This is calming everybody down, right? Um, on the other hand, this is what you expect. This is a an elite football team, like you just said. They're they're top down roster. It's it's really good, and 
you've seen it now a few different times. They blew out Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. They blew out the Cowboys at home. They blew out Jacksonville on the road. These are three playoff teams. And it's so what I'm seeing from that standpoint is these guys are actually unbeatable. Like this is a, a unreal football team. If they're playing at their best, Mm -hmm. Um, you can't stop them. That's, that's the second hand. The third hand is my caution hand. That is my like, all right, well, what happens when our plan doesn't work? Mm Mm-hmm. What happens when we are in a close ball game? And we've had a few of them now that have not gone our way. I'm going to use an analogy here. You can tell me if I'm off on this, but it's not surprising if Ohio State runs through the regular season and goes undefeated. But Mm -hmm. what team are you going to get in the college football playoff? You know, it's, it's that, and that's what ultimately matters. And I I mean, the Niners are a football, a, a playoff football team. But what worries me is you could be so, so good. And even then in the NFL, you could get burned if things don't work your way. And I don't know if this team is consistent enough in those closer football games, like like a Philly or a Kansas City, who somehow always find themselves on the right side of things at the end. Um, That's my concern. That's my worry. And that's where I say, did it really matter? Did it really matter that we blew out Jacksonville? Um, it's like, obviously, I'm happy that it happened. It's just, I don't know if I learned a whole lot from that. Yeah, I mean, th- those are all fair points. You know, during the three-game losing streak, I believe they didn't even get 20 points a game on offense. So, you know, to have some inconsistencies on offense would not be good in the playoffs. Um, and also, you know, you got a guy like Joe Burrow who – you know, in week, what was it, uh, eight or nine, came into San Francisco and kind of lit them up. So um, I think they do have some deficiencies, like you said, some inconsistencies, but I think it's a matter of them figuring out uh, how to manage through that. There, There's no doubt that they have a an extremely high ceiling. And I think, you know, we, we didn't even talk about the health, right? Trent yeah. Williams coming back, Debo coming back. Those are your two dudes. Those and are big. So, yeah. So to have them back was massive. To get Chase Young into the fold was massive. More work out of Randy Gregory, huge. Makes Eric Armstead look better. Makes Nick Bosa look better. So there, there's a lot to more to be excited for, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you. But I, I, I need more of a sample size with this current setup. You know, if we go on a run and again with you know win five in a row, I, then I'll be be sitting sitting a little bit more comfortable but for right now i'm still hesitant (laughs) yeah if you look at their next three games you got the buccaneers at seattle at philadelphia i think that's going to tell a lot about the team these next three games of you know how they they match up with the seahawks of course the eagles and they play the ravens later on too not easy matchups any other points on the NFL that you want to discuss? I know you you're in love with your boy CJ Stroud right now. <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, who who would have thought uh CJ Stroud would be an MVP candidate? I mean, I know he's not front runner necessarily, but the guy is is just special. Uh you saw all the traits when he was in college. Yes, he had great receiving cores, but the way he would throw the ball. I mean, sometimes he would throw guys open and it would just be a uh, work of art, man. He is um, so elusive. He's very good in the pocket and he's really good at just 
throwing balls into tight windows. And I think all those attributes that he developed under Ryan Day are really showing with the Texans. And you got D'Amico Ryans as your coach. Uh, they seem really rejuvenated in, in Houston. You know, they might not have the best roster on paper, but um, when you have a quarterback like C.J. Stroud, it totally is going to change their franchise. And he, I think he's really showing how good he is and why he's the best quarterback in his draft. Um, I think he's much better than Bryce Young, and he's really proven that. It's a great story. I mean, for the Texans who really weren't predicted to win more than four games, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, And then suddenly they're a playoff team. <laughs> they got a chance to win the division. I mean, that's yeah. not out of question. Jacksonville continues on the spiral. Um, Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked his best this year. Uh, there's hope for the Texans, at least – if anything, you compete in the wild card. The Bills are faltering. The Jets have faltered. Uh, the Bengals are faltering. Who knows what's going to happen with Joe Burrow now? And with the Raiders still injury. have a chance. <laughs> the Raiders are 500. And so I guess my yeah. takeaway is the, the NFL, this has been the hardest year to predict anything. One, fantasy football, it's been one of my worst years ever. It's just been horrible. <laughs> Um, and and I think yeah. a lot of people would agree with me. People who are generally at the top of the league uh, in their respective fantasy leagues had a very hard time this year. It's uh, it's just the landscape is so crazy this year. And I think a lot of that is when you look at inconsistent quarterback play. You don't. I talked about this with Matt on the an episode or two ago. It's just mm -hmm. you have backup quarterbacks in left and right. There's no consistency. And that's hard for the receivers. There's, it's hard for the offense. That's hard for the game plan. You know, teams that you thought were bad are somehow still in the mix, right? Like the Raiders have not played great football this year, but their defense has kept them alive. And somehow they're 500. We talk about the Texans. Like, Holy crap. They're not a great roster, but they're alive. Washington. Washington. Has <laughs> Washington actually played a good football game this year? And it's... It's you. I don't really know the answer to that, but yet they're still alive. Um, there, there's I'm, so many teams. Yeah, I'm not sure how the Vikings are still alive. It, the it's, Vikings, it's incredible. Yeah, it's I mean, you, <laughs> you know, sure, you know, starting off one and four was maybe a little worse than you, you know, you would give them credit for, but the fact that you rattle off five in a row and are now on a backup quarterback uh, in Josh Dobbs, and it's. Yeah, it's no, been Justin Jefferson. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, you, you can't predict any of this. I think when you look at truly dominant teams, it's the Chiefs, it's the Eagles, it's the Niners. The Ravens look really good, actually. But um, you know, I, I even they lose to the Browns on a on a field goal. I I, I wanted to to ask you. Uh, last week was big in the NFL. We had five games decided on the leg of our fellow kickers, and they the boys came through. I mean, the, the kickers made their kicks when it counted. I think there was six game-winning successes last week, I want to say. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty remarkable. Um, the specialists are, you know, it's a third of the game, special teams. But when it comes down to those critical moments, you better have a good kicker and you better have a good punter um, because that's the name of the game in these these um, tight games that we, we had this last weekend. And, um, yeah, it shows you the value of a guy like Justin Tucker, who's pretty much automatic from anywhere you put him. Um, he can win you games. And, um, you know, you, you look at a team like the Lions, um, I, they're much better than the Packers. I will admit that to you, Josh. Uh, but 
I think they're almost in that mix with some of those other top teams too. Maybe like a tier down, but they've also shown a lot of impressive moments throughout the season. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I can't overlook them. That's for sure. So yeah, really interesting landscape this year. Let's move to college football. Um, Don't talk a lot about college football on this show. Part of that is due to my partners and I's interest. Matt, Matt and I have not followed it closely as we usually do. And I'll tell you why. And I don't know how vocal I've been about it on the podcast, but I've, I've definitely, my, my interest in college football has tapered over the last handful of years, partially because I just am so fed up with how coach centered the sport has become. Uh, it's really college athletics in general, and it's just all about the head coach, his ego, what he wants. The school bows down to him. They, he demands X, Y, and Z from the school, from the, the football program, and he gets what he wants. Uh, you, you can go down the the list of like Chip Kelly having like a private jet at, or not Chip Kelly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brian Kelly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chip Kelly. Uh, Brian Kelly having a, a private jet at his disposal if he needs it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these coaches and their contracts, if you look what they have in their contracts, it's madness. And, you know, it's, it's, it, I think these coaches are just straight up taking advantage of these programs and they get so much credit, so much credit. And yet they're not the ones on the field. We've talked about that on the podcast. Mark's been, one on my side, they get too much credit. They get too much blame. Yeah. And I understand for a college football program, you're or basketball, you're there for the four years, right? Your player, you know, you have a great player and people remember that player forever. But for the most part, the coach is the one that they celebrate because he's always there. So it's important to have that consistency. Uh, but man, they just, they have too much power. And so you take that the the high ego coaches with now players can transfer whenever they want um, with the transfer portal. I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a thing it's there and it's fair. It's fair because coaches can leave whenever they want. Right. They wasn't fair back in the day. If a coach could leave and then the player that he got recruited by, uh, gets gets to uh has to suck it up and stay right that wasn't fair so it makes sense that it's allowed to happen but i like all good things they get abused and now if people are just unhappy they don't like the place kids can go transfer um and now schools can leave whenever they want so (laughs) you have players coaches and schools so there's just so much rejection of tradition um you know we have a pack two now it's coming up in the next year and a half or so it's it's yep. un, it's unbelievable uh, and and so and you know what what what's what sucks obviously it happened because of money right although the the programs leaving because of the good old dollar bill but it's going to affect the kids more than anything and it's going to affect the kids not in football it's going to affect the kids in those other olympic sports when you have to go play freaking Cal against Duke in you know whatever sport that is, you got to go cross country 
And they're the ones that are going to suffer because of finals and studies and uh, not being able to, to do what they need to do. The time change differences. Uh, I'm sure NCAA and the conferences will find a way to try to minimize the amount of stress in that regard. But I see that as a potential big issue, um, right? They didn't move because, uh, you know, the the Pac-12 gymnastics teams weren't good. They they moved because <laughs> the, the the football runs everything. That's the that's the only reason these things happened. And and I, I just don't think it's fair to the other athletes at those programs. And I'm curious how that affects recruiting down the line, right? Um, how much does a kid decide? Well. Do I really want to go to a Cal or a Stanford for athletics when I could just go somewhere else in a a region that has less travel? I don't know. I, I may be diving into it a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think the Pac-12 made some massive mistakes um, when you sign a deal with Apple TV to be your main broadcast. I I, I, I read somewhere they they declined like a $50 million contract from ESPN to, to air their games. I mean, the, I, I will say I respect the PAC 12 for sticking to their guns of look, we are an academic conference. Mm -hmm. We, we, we want kids who are going to study. We want kids who will excel as a student first and then athlete. I respect that a lot. Um, and unfortunately that didn't work. You combine that with bad management, bad commissioning, not being able to accept these contracts, these deals, and the whole conference just falls. And again, the kids are the ones who suffer. Um, nobody's going to care about these bowl games anymore, right? Because now <laughs> you have you know, college football playoff realignment. It's still in the works. They still don't really know what's going to happen. There was that 12-team proposal, but now that the Pac-12 is completely dissolved now it looks like it's going to be some sort of power four plus you know wild cards so there are you know group of five there, there there's a lot to still be sorted out in that regard but that's what really annoys me about the this whole thing and mm-hmm. even the college football playoff itself uh, and let's we'll talk a little bit about uh, the rankings and and what our friend uh, eric thinks about washington uh it's just you 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 have one great game at the beginning of the year or one bad game from the beginning of the year and you ride that the rest of the way that's all the rankings care about it's like, oh well you know you haven't lost yet so we'll, we'll keep you in your same spot and i was like oh well you know you had one bad game against a big opponent week 1 so you're going to be penalized that for the rest of the season and have to slowly work your way back in the rankings right like look at Alabama right they're the ones i'm not, i have no sympathy for them whatsoever <laughs> but uh, but but that's that's their situation so uh that's my disdain right now for college football college athletics i think there's a lot of corruption and uh, what better place to start with corruption than the university of Michigan. So, uh, (laughs) JT is pumping his fist right now. (laughs) All right. So I guess before we get into that, did you, do did you want to comment on anything I just said there? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to unpack. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with, a lot of those points, I mean, college football is not what it used to be in the sense that tradition is going away. 
Um, we have all this conference realignment. We have NIL just exploding at all these schools. Um, you know, head coaches abusing their powers. Um, yeah, it just it it definitely sucks for the other sports. Um, but at the end of the day, football generates the most money, and the presidents of universities are going to do whatever they can to make sure that the each school makes as much money as they can. And um, you know, you look at the schools that left for the big 10, I mean, it's great for the big 10. It's great for the big 12. They're getting these, these teams. Um, and same thing with the sec, you know, with Oklahoma and Texas, I think now that we have these power conferences, I think it's going to be make for really intriguing matchups in the playoffs and in conference too. So, you know, there are some pluses and minuses, you know, pros and cons to this, but I think over time people will get used to it. And each year we're going to see some big time matchups and I, I love that for college football I think it's going to be really good and you're going to get a lot more viewership that's for sure I, I can appreciate you highlighting the, the brighter side of things sort of balancing me out and, and I don't want to get far away from the Michigan discussion but yeah yeah we can, but, we can but, talk but coaches that one one last thing on coaches what I, I know you say football runs everything but so then they should be responsible for a lot right because most of these programs Mm -hmm. are not profitable it's the football program that brings in the cash for the university and these coaches that they are irresponsibly hiring are costing them millions and millions of dollars (laughs) and they're coming out of boosters they're coming out of different athletic funds you saw what happened the the biggest news of the week was jimbo fisher and that's what i wanted to talk about it yeah you know he is getting bought out for $76 million. <laughs> I mean, what what kind of responsibility? First of all, he's like, okay, he, you know, he had a good good coaching career, right? You win a natty with Florida State. You know, this is nothing against Jimbo Fisher as a guy, but when you are putting a guy on like a 10-year contract as a as a college football coach, I mean, in, in any professional like unless you're a uh, an athlete right unless you're uh you know an Aaron judge right it's it's <laughs> yeah like there are very few guys that deserve a 10-year contract and I think it's just incredibly financially irresponsible to give a 10-year contract of that amount of money to a head coach and you saw what happened with Mel Tucker um and like you, with Jimbo Fisher this dude's gonna make 19 million in like the next 60 days. That was yeah, part it, of the contract. The, it's crazy. I, I think uh, the SEC is very cutthroat with head coaches. Um, I listened to a podcast by Greg McElroy, the former uh, Alabama. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, he has a podcast called "It's uh, It's Always College Football" because he's always talking about college football, and he was talking about how the SEC. Um, there's been three head coaches that have been fired this year in season. Um, and those schools don't have any patience. So really, you know, Texas and him, they really screwed up with that contract. But at the end of the day, these SEC teams, all of them expect to win. And when you're not winning, um, they point the blame at the head coaches and, you know, they get the ax. But and and I, I'm I'm not saying that that's I know that's the way it is. You yeah. Instant satisfaction, right? Well, <laughs> If 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 the coach matters so much, right? If the coach really matters, then shouldn't you give him time to develop his program and 
and but but not too much time to where you mm-hmm. know that if it's no good you got to fire him right I, none of this makes sense the the logic doesn't line up and so when you know jimbo fisher 76 million dollar buyout yeah, he's, he's that's a, a very record. lucky man <laughs> and like i would gladly get bought out for 76 million dollar fire me without cause yes please 19 <laughs> mil in the next 60 days um my goodness i, I just that is criminal and now you know of course the espn article talking about this 146 million dollars in buyout since 2022 that is a problem and it's not just happening in college football it has happening in every sport um and you're seeing it in the nfl these guys can't even make it through year two of their contract a la josh mcdaniels and look at how many how much money the the fired football coaches of America are getting paid. John Gruden, Urban Meyer, like, yeah, they're getting paid so much after like one catastrophic. It's just crazy. Matt Rule, right? I mean, they're, they're oh, it it fires me up how ludicrous <laughs> the whole thing is, and I, and I just so zoning in on Michigan, for example. All right, what was the spread before? Jim Harbaugh's suspension was ruled out against Penn State. It was four and a half points for Michigan. Four and a half points. All right. Harbaugh gets his suspension, you know, not allowed to coach on the sideline, can't be there for the game. What was the spread? Stayed four and a half. (laughs) How much did Michigan win by? They won by nine. People don't care if the coach is on the sidelines. It just goes to show they don't matter that much. Um, I know it matters in recruiting. I know it matters if you're a good leader, mm-hmm. but that's about it. That's about it. I and I know I'm not trying to undermine those those qualities, but they the point is they get way too much credit. Um, oof, I'm 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 hot now, but uh, <laughs> it's it's just something somebody has to be held accountable. That's money out of the athletic program's school, mm-hmm. right? For some of these these places, and that that gets cheated out of the other kids, the rest of the student body. It's not okay. All right. Well, what, okay. I'll, I'll one more transition. <laughs> it's definitely not okay what Michigan did. Uh, science definitely student. not. Yeah. So you can start us off and and lay the land for us here. <laughs> yeah. So the last few years, Michigan has been caught stealing signs. Um, from games like when they were playing Ohio State, basically they hired a like a uh, off-field analyst. Yeah, some type of football analyst, um, young kid. Um, he would go to other Big Ten games of their opponents, and he would sit in the crowd and steal signs from their each each team sidelines. Um, and it was just one of those things where you kind of are like, okay, well, does all teams necessarily do this? And to the extent to which Michigan did it is just egregious. I'm really fed up with how the NCAA is taking forever to make a ruling on it. I mean, the Big Ten acted swiftly, and they're just like, okay, you know, that's it. Like, Harbaugh, you're suspended. Like, you're not allowed to be on the sidelines, which I think was the right move. But the fact that Michigan is going out, like, lying about this, they're not you know, forthcoming with exactly what they're doing. They make the football analysts resign. Jim Harbaugh, like, flat out denies that it ever happened. It's just, it's awful. And um, I think 
the college football committee should, you know, take that into account too. Um, you know, do they legitimately deserve to be in this year's college football playoff because the cheating had an impact on how good they are? Um, obviously they haven't played anybody on their schedule besides Penn State this last week, but legitimately, you know, okay, they have a bunch of talent, they are good, but um, I would say at the end of the day, like it's a little bit tainted uh, the last couple of years. You feel like you get a sense of, you know, okay, they got their butts handed to by Georgia in 2021 in the playoffs. And last year they lost to TCU. Um, so I, I hope the NCAA actually hands them a big punishment besides the one that Harbaugh just got. I hope they lose a whole bunch of scholarships. Maybe they get a one-year bull ban. Who knows? Well said. Well said. There, there. I agree with you that there can't just be. All right, we're just gonna punish Harbaugh because because he's the head of the thing. Like I just said, coaches don't matter. Michigan wants that <laughs> to be the only repercussion. Is just just ban Harbaugh for a couple games. Like we'll get through it. Just as long as we're back for the playoffs, we're fine. <laughs> it's it, there's got to be there. There have been less egregious violations. And schools have pe- gotten penalized way more. Coming from scholarships being lost, like you mentioned, to bull like, bans. Yeah, yeah. There, there needs to be more financial implications. Okay, the nature of sign stealing. So I'll go into it a little bit. This guy that they hired was wow. We don't know. This is the thing. We don't know who hired and who didn't hire, and how mm-hmm. much this guy was acting on his own accord. But he had to have some communication because. Michigan was clearly benefiting from this guy's scouting work, right? And what was he doing? Well, for those listeners who don't know, he was going to the games and he was taping on his iPhone the home team sidelines and like picking up all of their signals of what play was about to happen, et cetera. So uh, Michigan, of course, in their film room and their scouting, they they see this occur. They know what play is going to be there. Offenses can make the adjustments. Defenses can make the adjustments. It's a, it has extreme performance implications if you know what's coming. Uh, it's, it's like almost like I, if you were playing blackjack and you knew exactly what card was coming next, whether you hit or you don't, it's, it's, it's that type of offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and now this guy had a few people that worked for him. He would pay a guy a couple hundred bucks, another kid, whatever. Um, he would get him tickets to some other Big Ten game, right? He couldn't do it all on his own. He needed help. And then they would do the same thing. They would upload it to a drive that didn't have access to other people. They just knew that they were uploading it to some sort of Google Cloud, some kind of Apple Cloud, right? Um, And they would do this not just for Big Ten games, but they've been spotted at different SEC games uh, before teams that Michigan might have faced in the playoffs there had been rumors of them being in those spots there was a big one earlier this year at central michigan where there's a nondescript man dressed with glasses sunglasses at night wearing holding some kind of play sheet central michigan has no idea how this guy got a credential on the sideline that's another problem we've talked about this before there's too many people on the sidelines for these games how is all of this going under the radar and how does Jim Harbaugh not know about this. He wasn't cooperative with the investigation. He wasn't yeah. cooperative with the investigation 
for his three-game suspension before the year started with the recruiting violations. Which and makes like, him even more guilty, yeah. <laughs> this started back in January. They did a great article on ESPN today, but it's a it was a tumultuous year for Michigan, and I don't mean like to feel sorry for them, but they they had a lot of impermissible actions, which is like what the Big Ten calls it. Um, and so the Big Ten was like, well, we have to suspend Harbaugh because we don't really know what else to do right now. They had ample evidence, right? People say, well, we want to respect the due process of the situation. Let the NCAA have its ruling. If you let me ask you, it's like if you see a video come out of something bad happening to a professional athlete or like like him doing something bad at a club, he gets there's action immediately. The team, yeah, yeah. The, the team says, well, they're cooperating or whatever, but generally the guy's released right away now in this day and age. There's ample evidence of this occurring and the big 10 was like f that we're not waiting like we we respect our other conference members we need to do something about this and i don't know why people were up in arms about that there has to be uh more Im- uh, implications than what we've just seen and i'll go off on a tired even for the first one right because this was the the second big offense of the year for michigan before this it was a recruiting violation and the whole thing went with, oh, well, Jim Harbaugh took a couple players out and bought them hamburgers. This is like during a non-contact period. And they're just trying to make it out as like, oh, well, he, you know, he's just doing the kid a solid. It's more than that. You're, you're breaking so many. This is a, a level one violation. It's like the most severe that you can get. You know, Michigan's like, you know what? We're, uh, we're going to self we're going to self-impose the ban because we don't want the NCAA to deal with it. We're just going to get ahead of it. You know, it's the first three games, non-conference. Like we're just going to, we're going to knock it out. Vanilla schedule anyways. Yeah. Mickey Mouse. We're going to be fine. So they, they were like, let's do this so that the NCAA can't do something worse. And now it happens again. Of course, the matches are more severe. Like I said, I don't think it really matters that much. It's obviously a good football team. They're going to be fine. Um, But, I mean, I'm skipping a whole lot. There was a lot of violations from the beginning of this year and Harbaugh not cooperating with the investigation. And so they had no choice. The conference had to do something. So I'm just infuriated by the whole situation. Yeah, it's it's definitely you know frustrating for the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, Michigan has gotten off scot-free basically um, this whole time. And, uh, you know, I, I hope they get what what's coming to them uh karma will get them back somehow i really believe that and um you know they they got they got ohio state in a couple weeks so let's just settle this on the field like big boys and uh you know have them cry home with to their losses (laughs) (laughs) oh man i'm trying to think do i have any more ranting do i want to say about michigan it's just they just always like obviously I'm biased, right? I'm I'm a I'm a go green die hard, but like it's like it's like this program can do no wrong. It's like they're they're it's it's almost like Penn State back when they had the Paterno days of of you know the like their their mission statement was impervious to like it, it was impossible that any they could do anything wrong, which is clearly. Mm-hmm. When you when you make yourself and hold yourself in that regard, that leaves a lot of room for issue to to start. I even forgot to mention, yeah, that was a Michigan. Um, 
you know, the famous coach, uh, Bo uh, Schembechler. Schembechler. Yeah. Yeah. Schembechler. Sorry. His, the, his son was hired as a recruiting assistant and then resigns three days later because of insensitive likes and posts on his social media. Like, what is going on with the program? I mean, this is this is a disaster. It's it's a complete disaster. Um, yeah, I mean, Michigan, they've always had a sense of entitlement that they're no. better than everybody else. And because of that, they have always thought, oh, we're above the law. We can do whatever we want. And I think, you know, Harbaugh kind of feeds into that. That's his philosophy is that, oh, we can never do no wrong and that, you know, we're better than everybody else. And yeah, they're just straight cheaters. And, you know, the. I'm just hoping that they they get what's served to them uh, ultimately, and hopefully Harbaugh resigns at the end of the season. Uh, that's that's my biggest hope, and maybe that will start to you know infiltrate within the next couple of years and really hurt their their program. All right, so moving to the more fun stuff of the CFP itself. Um, right now, who do you have in? Who are your top four teams? Give me a quick synopsis of each team. Yeah, so I'll start at the top. Number one, it's got to be Georgia. Uh, Georgia, they have had some struggles at times this year, uh, but overall, when you look at the full body of work and how dominant they've been lately, uh, they beat uh, number 12 Missouri at home. They dismantled Old Miss at home, who was another top 10 team. Um, you look at their offense, Carson Beck. I mean, this guy is probably better Um than um their previous quarterback i mean he's really really good he's very has really good arm talent better than stetson bennett i i think uh the thing about georgia that's a little bit different from these last two years is they had such dominant offense and defensive lines um this year they've been more susceptible in the running running game on defense so that's a point of weakness that other teams could exploit but overall i think you you look at georgia on paper they they have supreme talent uh they have supreme coaching and um when you got a guy like brock bowers who can totally change you know the game at any moment with any big plays and he's still got a good running game i think georgia for sure is is number one right now and they're peaking at the right time and um all they have to do is just win out i think even if they lose the sec championship game to alabama they still have a shot to get in so um georgia clearly the front runners until someone knocks them off, they have a 29 game win streak. So until proven otherwise, I think, yeah, uh, if someone will have to beat them in the college football playoff to, to take their reign down. And then uh, moving on to number two, I think it's clearly Ohio State. You look at the whole body of work, too, with Ohio State. I mean, they've been really impressive on defense. They have one of the top defenses in the whole nation. Um the defense is loaded with first round talent as well. I mean, you look at JT Tuimuilau and Jack Sawyer on the outside, you see that the sack numbers aren't, you know, high, but the amount of plays that they've affected um, is, is a lot, a lot of QB hurries, a lot of pressures, pass deflections, things like that. Um, Really Ohio state, the backbone of this team is its defense. Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator that they hired from or uh, or sorry, Oklahoma State, he's in year two of their scheme, and he just has made this defense so tenacious. I mean, this defense is just flying around, making plays. They're making interceptions. They're making plays when they really need it. Um, 
And Ohio State's offense, on the other hand, you have the best player in college football, Marvin Harrison Jr. This guy is going to be solidified top five pick, Heisman Trophy candidate. He has a chance to actually win the Heisman because the way he affects games, you have to scheme your entire game plan as a defense around Marvin Harrison. Um, I don't think you you can quantify that as much with any other player in the country at this point right now. He's far and above just better than everybody else. For instance, when they played Penn State, the difference in that game was that Penn State didn't have Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ohio State had Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> so, you know, you equate it to that. And the effect that he's had on the team has been remarkable. Um, they've also sustained some injuries in offense. Uh, Travion Henderson's been out for two games. They're running back, their star running back. And then Emeka Abuka has been out for another three games. So, you know, Kyle McCord is a first-year quarterback. He's been going through some growing pains throughout the season. But I think offensively, they're clicking a lot better now, uh, now that they're healthier. Um, a big question mark for them has always been health on offense. And I think now that we're starting to see these guys come back, Henderson has been a beast lately. Mecca Buka is still getting into the flow of things. There's tight end Kate Stover, one of the best tight ends in the nation. They've got weapons everywhere. So, you know, if you're any college football playoff team, you don't want to run into a team like Ohio State that has a rugged defense and an offense that can show the the explosiveness to just run away from games. So I think Ohio State, clearly number two team. If I were to pick a number three team, uh, I would actually say Oregon. I think Oregon is going to go all the way up into the number three spot by the end of the season. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Yeah. Keep talking. Yeah. Um, you look back at the Washington-Oregon game. Oregon, I think, was stopped on three fourth downs in Washington territory when they could have kicked field goals in that game. Um, they just looked like the better team that day, even though they didn't win the football game. You know, Washington's still a really good football team. They're undefeated. But I think they have more deficiencies than Oregon. Oregon, their offense with Bo Nix, my gosh, they are very, very explosive. I think they're one of the best offenses in the nation. You look at their running game, um, their running game is phenomenal. They have a great offensive line that's very physical. Same thing with their defense, very physical up front. Um, they kind of mirror an SEC team. I, I predict that Oregon will actually win out and they'll they'll dismantle Washington in the Pac-12 championship. I know that's a pretty bold prediction, but um, I think Oregon is is going to do it as a one-loss Pac-12 champion. And then who's four? Ooh, yeah. Um, I would say at number four, I think it's going to be Florida State. I don't see them losing another game on their schedule. Um I know they're still undefeated and they probably going to pit play Louisville or North Carolina in the ACC championship. But I think they're one of those teams that they have a lot of talent, um, but it kind of remains to be seen whether they can hold up against top competition. They have a good win against LSU. But besides that, a lot of their wins have kind of fallen off a little bit because those teams have fallen off too. Um but from a talent standpoint, they can match up with those those other top three teams. But yeah, I think Florida State will barely squeeze by. But I think Oregon will actually, as a one loss team, I think they could still catapult them. Yeah, that's why I was a little confused. Of you've you've got 
Florida State at four at undefeated, but Oregon at three with one loss. So that that was a little peculiar to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think when you look at that game against Washington, I mean, they lost by the thinnest of margins. Um, and I think the committee is, I think they've shown that one loss like that is not going to penalize you to, to the fullest extent. Um, so like, it, it, let's say if they destroy Washington in the PAC 12 championship and look really good doing it and Florida state barely squeaks by in the ACC championship, I think they could easily jump them. Wow. Wow. All right. So I know that's pretty bold, but yeah, yeah, that, um, that's where I will. Oof. Okay. Um, I disagree with you. I, I, I think Washington takes care of business. I think they they go, they went out, they take care of I think Michael Penix is a Heisman candidate, if not Heisman, I think I don't think he's gonna win, but I think he should win um because of how much he means to that program. And so to me, I think Washington can beat Oregon, even if it is a neutral site. Remember, there's no more Pac-12 North and South meeting the championship. They they did did away with that last year. It's just the top two teams uh, in the conference play. So they'll have to beat Oregon twice. And I think you beat Oregon twice. I think that easily puts you in the third spot behind the Georgia, Ohio state. I mean, I'm with you. I think Ohio state beats Michigan in the, the big 10 title uh, or for the big 10 title, I should say. Um, and I do think Florida state, uh falters i i i think they missed the playoff um wow okay obviously they have a cupcake game this week against like north alabama or something which i think is stupid how you can schedule non-conference opponents like that deep into the season i think that's kind of unfair um hopefully those things will change but a rivalry game against florida and gainesville i know florida's not good this year but potential to lose there. And I think uh, whoever they get in the ACC championship, you know, whether it's a Louisville or a UNC, um, I, I think both of those teams are capable of taking down Florida State. I don't know much about college football, but I do know that there's always chaos when it comes to the CFP. And I have a very hard time believing that both Florida State and Washington will both be undefeated. I, I don't think... I think it's impossible. This would be the first time in history, correct? If all four teams are undefeated in the, the top four, it's never happened. Before. I, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the latest into a season that five teams are still undefeated. So yeah, it's kind of been uh very top heavy this year. Um, you still see a lot of parody in college football, but you know, the dominant team, it, it's better. It, it yeah. don't get me wrong. It's better. Like, I can appreciate that. All right. Aside from Georgia, you know, you, you know, you, you don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, a, a couple of years ago, it was, it was pretty much Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Ohio state. Like you knew that they were going to be the top four. Right. Yeah, yeah. Clemson. I mean, even Oregon. Um, but and now it's a little bit more balanced. Um, I don't think Washington's getting enough credit. We talk about that in our, uh, our chat all the time uh, because we do have a resident Husky fan. <laughs> they do have the best win in college football right now, right? I mean, if if you're, they took down uh, Oregon 
and they're ranked right behind them. So it's like, well, you just beat a, a very, very good football team, and yet uh, you're not really getting rewarded for it. Whereas, like, oh, Florida State beat LSU week one uh, or week two or whatever. They're uh, they're you know we're we're gonna keep them there. And uh, okay, I, I know Florida State has had some okay wins, but um, it's it's just unfair, right? It's Florida mm-hmm. State gets the credit because you know they they've won a national title in the last ten years, and uh, well, it's just it's Florida football and Florida are, are synonymous with each other, and so Washington's getting screwed here. Uh, I would well, agree with that. Yeah, I mean Washington should be number four right now, but um, you do look at their team, and I think what the committee is looking at right now is their defense. They've had some games where they've had some defensive lapses. I mean, they gave up 42 points against USC on the road. I think that definitely plays a factor into why they're still favoring Florida State over Washington right now, and it's because of that defense. And I don't really care that much, like because like I said, at, at the end of the day, um, it's it, it they're gonna they're gonna figure it out. Um, I just have a hard time believing that Florida State finishes out undefeated here. Uh, so with Washington, I, I do think this is unfair, though. It's worthy of talking. College game day is going to James Madison yeah, um, instead of, yeah. <laughs> against against uh, Appalachian State. <laughs> really? James Madison, App State for college game day and not uh, Washington versus Oregon State, who, by the way, nobody's talking about. They're, a t- what, number 11 in the AP right now? So um, in the college football rankings, the yep, they're number eleven. So they're a so, really good football team. I mean, this is big for the Pac-12, and like I know the Pac-12 is diminishing, and I know that nobody cares about it. I know that nobody <laughs> watches Pac-12 football, but man, this is the last year. Come on, let's do something. You know, I'm just they, they got screwed. You could almost say they got marginalized by their geographic location because nobody's up to ever watch them play. Um, they, you know, and, and I say nobody, the people in the Midwest and the East with their SEC and their Big Ten and their East Coast <laughs> time, uh, you don't get to watch a Pac-12 and they get, they unfortunately get the short end of the stick. Um, I think this is a crime. I, I don't care if game day has been to Washington or whatnot. You, you have to, because they were there for the Oregon-Washington game, right? Um, they were. Yeah, you, so they were. Yeah. That was the biggest matchup of the year in Pac-12. This is a no-brainer best game on the slate this week. There's not a lot of good games this week. This this jumps out. It's going to be hostile in Corvallis um, for those Beavers. And uh, I think uh, the Huskies uh, put up a good fight here. I think this would have been a chance to show them on the national stage and, and get people to talk about them maybe moving up in the rankings. But of course they said, we can't have that. We don't want that. We need to push our agenda and keep Florida state in there. Um, and here's the thing that really sucks. Um, this is James Madison's first year in FBS. Um, they, they are a very good football team. Um, they're ranked and it's possible that if they didn't have their bull ban, right they could actually make a New Year's bowl game this year. So this is kind of stupid to me. You promote them to FBS, but because it's almost like, you know, the old redshirt year or the old years where if you did transfer, you had to sit out a year, right? You had to, you had to burn a year. 
And they're doing that with this sort of thing where James Madison just got promoted, but you're not eligible for postseason your first year. That's that's terrible. That's complete BS. Yeah, (laughs) I I, I don't think that's fair. You're going to have one of the best teams in college football this year. Um, James Madison, who for years have had success in the FCS and they can't play in postseason play. This would have been fantastic for their program. It's this. And it's like, once again, it's the kids that suffer. It's the kids that don't get to take home the hardware. Now mm-hmm. they could, they could potentially play in a bowl game. If there are not 82 teams that finish 500 in the FBS. So it's possible. It is possible that they can get into a bowl game. It's the same with Jackson State. First year in FBS, they're actually playing pretty well. They're not eligible for a bowl game because first year. I just this. Why? Why do you have to have this? Yeah, it's the NCAA definitely does not have that right. Uh, They got to get that straightened out. They got to get James Madison bowl eligible because, like you said, I mean the the kids are the ones that suffer the most. I mean, you think about guys that are you know seniors fourth year seniors fifth year seniors on that team you know badly they'd want to play in a bowl game oh uh, yeah especially a new year six game so um yeah i think that's that's definitely a crime honestly that what the ncaa is doing by handcuffing them by penalizing them like that it's it's ridiculous man uh there there's just so much that uh that irks me right now about the landscape and (laughs) how how unfair everything is yeah, I have a question for you, actually. Okay. Which conference do you think could get two teams in the playoff this year? If it's possible. Uh, well, it's... Like I'm, it was I'm, last year with Ohio State and Michigan. I mean, they both made it. And if more chaos yeah. happens, I think it, it could very well happen again. Well, I I think this year it would be the SEC. I think uh, Alabama would slide its way in. If you beat Georgia... Who cares? You know, it's you can talk all the hypotheticals, right? All right, let's say Washington loses. All right, so you have a, an Oregon one loss team, you have a Washington one loss team. Um, that's going to be perfectly enough for, and Michigan loses, right? That's going to be perfectly enough for Bama to go in with that Georgia win. I mean, it's it, to me, it's quite simple. I think the biggest, uh, college football playoff busters right now, the next two weeks is Oregon state because they play Washington and Oregon back to back weeks. Um, so if, if Oregon state actually upsets both of them and then um, they get to the PAC 12 title game where it's would it still be, you, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't get both teams in though. Yeah, right. Like both teams could, could potentially you're, you're, be out if they both lost. Oregon. You're saying they're, they're a potential like buster, but the PAC 12 wouldn't get two teams in. They, they wouldn't get anybody in. They, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I see. Right. Oh, that, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. That, that two teams yeah. would not get in, which would open the door for the big 10 or the sec to get two teams in for sure. And I think, I think Georgia is going to, beat Alabama like I have a feeling they'll take care of business against Alabama which opens the the door for the Big Ten again because one team is going to get left out of the Big Ten championship the winner of that will go on and the loser will just wait like Ohio State did last year so yeah I think it's a very strong possibility and then Florida State obviously if they lost in the ACC championship game you know they would probably be out and yeah there's a lot of chaos that could happen Uh, these next few weeks so there's also a scenario that if 
everybody loses out that somehow if Louisville won out that they could find them their, themselves into the top four, which, you know, they would need the most help at this point to get in. Yeah. But right now you're looking at an eight, nine team race into the college football playoff. All the two lost teams are eliminated at this point. Uh, but every team from the top nine ex- or actually the top 10 right now, excluding Missouri, I'll have a chance. So I think it's great for college football that this late in the season, we still have this many teams left. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, good, good talk on college football. Um, we're, we're about getting ready to close the show here. I, I have some, I want to play a little trivia with you. We haven't done that in a little while, okay, but yeah. um, I, I got this idea. Um, and you know how every NFL team has like their own hall of fame or their own ring of honor or a wall of fame. You know, it's, it's like, maybe they're not in the pro football hall of fame, but they're in their, their team hall of fame. So I'm going to give you just a handful of guys here and you're going to tell me if they are actually in their team, respective team hall of fame, or if they're not. Okay. Okay. So um, you've got you've got five five here. All right, so let's start with the Eagles. Is David Akers in the Eagles Hall of Fame? Ooh, I'm gonna say no. He is. <laughs> ah, tricky. Come on, you knew I was gonna give good credit with the kickers here. <laughs> um. All right, number number two is Corey Dillon in the Bengals Hall of Fame. Yes, he's in the Hall, the Bengals Hall of Fame. He is not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, over two out of the gates. Apologies. Um, okay. Is Marcus Colston in the Saints Hall of Fame? I'm going to say no for that. I don't think he had that long of a career to be in the the Saints Hall of Fame. He is in the Saints Hall of Fame. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Man, you're you're 0 for 3. You're 0 for 3. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. Colts. Is... Bob Sanders in the Colts Hall of Fame or sorry Ring of Honor. Yes, Bob Sanders is. Bob Sanders is not in <laughs> the Colts <laughs> Ring of Honor. <laughs> wow. I got I, I got to at least get one right. <laughs> two team, two time first team all pro safety. That's nuts to me. Uh, wow. I know he had a tough tough injury injury riddled career. Um okay, last chance. Is Jake DeLome in the Panthers Hall of Fame? Slam dunk, yes. Has to be in the Panthers Hall of Fame. Hey, we got you. You're yes. in. Yes. <laughs> <You> got <laughs> Finally. it. Finally. <laughs> one and four there. <laughs> hey, JT, it was a pleasure having you on. Um, it's good, good to talk a little bit of college football. Um, I, I don't get to do that very often, so I appreciate the insight. Uh, of course, we talked a little bit of NFL. I will um, close out this episode by talking about 
um, how college basketball is going to be very, very interesting in March Madness. Um, we shall see. We shall see. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, San Diego State being in the Final Four in the national championship last year, that was a huge surprise. I think we're going to see another very entertaining March Madness. I know that's still about four or five months away, but um, I'm hoping that we'll get another good March Madness here. And uh, maybe maybe we'll see a new team rise up and, and win the national championship. <laughs> All right. Hopefully not Michigan State, though. <laughs> They're not looking very good out of the gates here. <laughs> um, All right. Once again, thank you. And uh, by the way, follow us, share us, like us, the Joe Randoms Sports Network, Joe Randoms SN on Instagram, TikTok, on X. I got to start saying X instead of Twitter. Yeah. Um, please follow us. And then, of course, we are on Apple and Spotify for the podcast. So uh, please share us and give us five stars. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>